right, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Game Over. We are on episode number three. You have myself, Oldie but Goody, Joseph Kim, and the young blood, Arthur Chusoff. And today we're going to be covering a bunch of news. What's next for Netflix? Epic Games breaking records with Fortnite, TikTok mobile revenue, Epic's win over Google, Max Payne voice actor passes away, first game console turns 50, Sony game patent, E3 shutting down, and layoffs at Hasbro. But before we dive into news, actually, Arthur, you want to tell us a little bit about what happened? You went to, like, where'd you go? You went to Dubai, you went to a bunch of places. What, what, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I went to Dubai with my girlfriend on a nice uh, holiday trip. And Dubai was a fun place, but I enjoyed more of the outside, um, especially going to Far World for the fastest coaster. We rented a Lamborghini and we road trip all the way to Oman, and that was great there until I realized we went over the uh, the mile limit that to pay <laughs> had to pay double than why I thought I should be paying. Um, then we also checked out Doha and Qatar, which we thoroughly enjoyed the culture more than Dubai because okay. there was actual culture compared to the commercialness of Dubai, but Dubai had a lot more stuff to do. It was all fun and great. The flight to there was terrible and got awful, missed a connecting flight, dealt with a uh, gate agent that did not sympathize with us until their supervisor came over and just strips and just print them their next boarding pass. And then we had to wait seven hours. Oh, we had to wait half of our flight time to just wait in the airport. Um, so that was awesome. We got there at 6 a.m. and we had our next Ooh. we had to go up to Burj Khalifa in a couple hours, so we didn't sleep much. But I we still enjoyed it. Nice. I'm glad to be back home. Just got back yesterday. Yeah, and my background basically shows you that I'm back in the US. Just got here from India, arrived last night. And so this is my first day. Not super jet lagged. I'm gonna try to exercise my way through my jet lag. So we'll see what happens. But Maybe we could go ahead and kick things off with top charts. You want to, you want to take us there, Arthur? All right, top charts. First surprise is actually Grand Theft Five has risen up eighteen places at number ten. Um, this is probably because of the newest update, Grand Theft Six's uh, announcement, and a little news they recently added to the game, which we'll probably get over cover later. Baldur's Gate is um, unfortunately falling to ninth place right behind Call of Duty, which just started its free weekend. And despite that, uh, Call of Duty is still falling down four places at number eight. Apex Legends is at number seven, fell down one place. But then, of course, the finals has finally appeared on a top chart, which is one of the new games I, well, technically new games I played this past week. We'll get to that later. At number six, doing very steadily well, especially compared to the bigger league games, Cyberpunk has actually grew up to five spots on the number five list. And then Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Um, it's also a new game. Is at number four, and it's you know blasting off. It's being popular. Lethal Company has finally been dethroned by two spots at number three top charts. Then PUBG Battlegrounds shockingly went up by one at second place. And then uh, biggest thing is that Counter Strike Two is finally in first place. CS Two by simple advancement by one place. Um, it's uh, we got a couple of new games on here, as we mentioned before, and then Grand Theft Auto 5 finally making its place up top to top 10. Um, is some new deviations we have compared to our previous uh top chart reviews. And Arthur, are you playing any of these? Are you playing finals? Definitely paint the finals and also check out Grand Theft Auto 5 with its newest update, uh, yeah. about the car stuff and chop chops, and then of course, a little small update. <clears throat> 
um, where they add wildlife after 10 years, but the community reception on that is a news story by itself, which we might get to later. And of course, Cyberpunk, I've been playing again because it's such a beautiful game. Just finished up Phantom Liberty, great DLC. Yeah, and a lot of the kids are playing Lethal Company, that's for sure. <laughs> a lot of the kids. Yeah, yeah, good staying power. All right, well, heading over to mobile worldwide uh, top charts. Looking at downloads, we've got Black Clover Mobile, again, sitting at number one, followed by Block Blast, Adventure Master, Subway Surfers, Free Fire at number four, Roblox number five. Finally, Spider Fighting Rope Game is dropping. It should drop. Oh, I no. hope it drops all the way off. <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> that game needs to go. Uh, at spot number seven, we've got Build a Queen by Supersonic, followed by Football League 2023 at number eight. Royal Match at number nine, and Race Master by Say Games at number 10. On the revenue side, we've got Royal Match that has dethroned Monopoly Go for number one. Monopoly Go is at number two, Roblox number three, Candy Crush Saga number four. This is top revenue. Coin Master five, Fate Grand Order jumped 22 spots to achieve number six. Just goes to show you just how strong Japanese anime titles are for mobile games. Followed by Monster Strike at seven, Lineage M, which is an ARPG at number eight, Pokemon Go, number nine, and Clash of Clans at number 10. It's a delightful surprise to see Pokemon Go on here again. Yeah, you know, Pokemon Go just generally sits, at least on the US charts, not necessarily on the global charts, but in the US, it's generally in the top 10 revenue. But yeah, it's good to see it being, you know, kind of achieving top 10 global as well. All right. Should we kick off the news, Arthur? Absolutely. I'll hand it to you. We okay. got something going on in Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So the first, uh, the first news article I want to cover is basically a, a post from the Netflix website, and basically this is a post by Netflix VP of Games Mike Verdu, where Netflix basically is discussing their future gaming plans. So first of all. The company announced that it has now launched 40 games, including most recently Grand Theft Auto Trilogy, which we covered in the last Game Over episode. We, they've also got Football Manager 24 Mobile and a game called Storyteller. In addition to that, Netflix also announced internal Game Dev Studio titles, including Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals and Netflix Stories Love is Blind. On, uh, the company also announced plans to try to make Netflix games available on any device, including TVs, TV and computers, so you'll basically be seeing a lot of these games go cross-platform, not just on mobile. And looking to the future, Netflix announced 86 games by year-end. And as per the Netflix model, all the games are included free with the Netflix membership. No ads, no IP, no extra fees. You get to play the full game experience if it's a Netflix games fully without any additional cost. And finally, the company announced nearly 90 more games in development and they also mentioned that they are just getting started. And for you, Ar just Arthur, does, does this does does a Netflix game make a difference to you? Do you do you pay attention to the fact that it's a Netflix game, or does it does it even matter? Uh, for me personally, I, mean, I grew up with Netflix as one of those things I got from the box outside of a Walgreens. <laughs> so to see it um, yeah. like diversify into gaming is definitely different. But I feel like they're trying to copy what uh, Google did with the. Uh, Stadia, and then we have Android of the Ouya, but I think what they're doing is following that with the membership they, deal they have. It's, it's I think they're just following like this um, freemium type business model, but for like premium games, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's a 
pretty unique approach in this market, but I actually have high hopes for Netflix games. It's just that a lot of people still are unaware of it. Mm -hmm. Even my gamer, they did not know that Netflix is now making, technically making games. Yeah, and I, I believe like the, at least what I've heard is that the whole kind of motivation behind Netflix games is essentially a way to try and help Netflix users prevent churn. So basically the idea is that when, for for example, I, I think when Reed Hastings saw some of the statistics and and basically he noticed that there was a huge loss of Netflix um, watch time when Fortnite usage is going up, he realized that the difference between content in terms of whether it's video types of content or games is actually taking from the same sort of user attention. And so I think that was the initial motivation for Netflix to kind of go into games and then using this kind of, you know, access to a portfolio of Netflix games to try to prevent churn out, out of Netflix. But we'll see if they're successful or not. I, I kind of, I, I like what they're doing, but I kind of have a doubt that it's actually going to be able to reduce churn for them. I, I don't think that most people, at least with the library that they have today, are are going to consider not churning from Netflix just because of the games portfolio. But we'll we'll see, and and certainly wish them the best of luck. It's just, uh, I feel like it's a whole niche with the games they have selected. Mm-hmm. I think the issue right now that Netflix needs to resolve is like finding their audience. Like, who is this for? Yeah. Like, um, if I wanted to play the Grand Theft trilogy, I just buy it and then that's i have it forever i don't need a membership for it especially when it comes to modding so i'm just very curious because they're doing a lot of games at the end of this year as you mentioned Mm -hmm. but i feel like they're just throwing stuff against the wall until they find out their audience that's what i think they're currently trying to do at least that's what i'm hoping they do you know they're not expanding too big like they did previously um which equated them to the situation where they're now diversifying in games so we'll see what they're going to do for the future Maybe it'll make it more linear and narrow of an audience of a selection of games. All right. So moving on to the next news item, I want to highlight actually a LinkedIn post by Reed Dukesher, who is actually Mr. Beast Manager. And he wrote a LinkedIn post that, well, essentially about new records that were broken by Epic Games with Fortnite. And so he pointed out that first, Fortnite OG broke records on December 1st with 100 million players in the highest CCU ever at 11.6 million players in terms of CCU. Further, Reed noted that the game has included three new game modes in the last week that have topped the charts within Fortnite. The first mode was LEGO Fortnite, which is the top played game mode with a peak of 2.5 million players. And this is basically kind of like a LEGO Minecraft type of game mode experience. Second, there is Rocket Racing, which is basically the same engine used by Rocket League. So it's basically a Rocket League mode in Fortnite. And finally, there's Festival Main Stage, which is kind of like Rock Band, but also, again, inside of Fortnite. And in his post, Reed kind of predicted that Fortnite, to some degree, can potentially become like the new Steam and something that he thinks that everyone should keep their eye out for in 2024. 100%. Like, Fortnite's become this platform. Every developer I know, especially from the Roblox side, and even the indie side overall is coming onto Fortnite and treating it as a platform to make game modes, I believe that they just refer mm-hmm. to, but practically just games. And just the chart by itself, if we just look at the chart by itself, 
is insane how many players Fortnite gathered. Because I remember last year people saying, well, Fortnite's dying. Apex Legends is going to take its place. But now Fortnite just diversified, much like Netflix did, into becoming a whole game platform. Right. And it's amazing. Like these are massive numbers. Yeah, and I I know Tim Sweeney has been pretty consistent in terms of his vision of a metaverse and a Fortnite to become that new metaverse. And while like the terminology around the metaverse has kind of been in decline, it's, it's kind of like fallen out of favor along with like crypto and Web3 and, and, and that sort of thing. It does seem that right. at, at least on the Epic side, they're, they're keeping consistent in terms of what they're trying to do with Fortnite, in terms of what they're trying to do in building more of a metaverse type of experience. Good luck to Tim Sweeney and Epic. We'll, we'll see where it's going. But for now, we can see that the numbers are there in terms of engagement and additional player interest in Fortnite, not only as the game, but also as a platform. There's definitely numbers there. It's right. huge. Next news item. And basically, this is a post by Lexi Sidow, who runs marketing at data.ai. But she wrote how TikTok is now the first non-gaming app to break $10 billion in IAP revenue on mobile. And she noted a few statistics from data.ai, but basically globally, TikTok made 24% of its IAP revenue on Google Play, but with the majority, 76% coming from iOS. The top markets for spend on TikTok, which is also called Daoyin, I don't, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, in China, but uh, both US and mainland China represent about 60% of global spend for TikTok. And besides US and China, other top markets include like Saudi Arabia, Germany, UK, Japan, and France. And interestingly, spending ramped a lot this year, up 61% from where it entered in 2023. And it came into 2023 with $6.2 billion in life of product spend. Anyway, there, there's a very few games that have done over $10 billion. And so like the list of, of games that have done that include Candy Crush Saga, which has generated over $12.2 billion in net revenue, Honor of Kings at $11 billion, Monster Strike at $10.6 billion, and Clash of Clans by Supercell at $10.2 billion. And of all of these apps, TikTok has reached $10 billion the fastest at 15 months compared to the next fastest, which was Honor of Kings, which took that game 35 months to hit $10 billion. It is incredible. Yeah. Uh, are, are you a TikTok guy, I don't Arthur? Use TikTok. You don't? Okay, yeah, I don't. I no, don't either. I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I, so I'm like puzzled. Like, how how do you like make so much from TikTok? Like, is it like ads or whatnot? I assume ads, right? Uh, no, I think this is IEP spend. So this is like people buying stuff in TikTok. So yeah, we we should yeah, check it out. I think it's, I, I I mean I guess I don't know. I've just never really gotten into TikTok. I I should probably check it out more. See how they're actually spending the money there, and we can report back next week on how it's actually happening. But yeah, I I don't watch TikTok at all unless I'm seeing like you know a YouTube short with where, where I see the TikTok thing on it. <laughs> <laughs> it just that's it's crazy. Like TikTok got got here in 15 months compared to. Candy Crush taking 51 months. Yeah. It's just bonkers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the biggest news items also that um, surfaced over the last week is about ep uh, the Epic Games verdict against Google. So 
When it comes to the lawsuits that Epic Games actually launched against Apple and Google, Epic largely failed in its lawsuit against Apple for monopolistic behavior. However, December 11th, a federal jury did side with Epic against Google for operating its Google Play App Store and Google Play billing service, essentially as an illegal monopoly. So the jury unanimously voted in favor of Epic against Google. And in an Epic Games blog post, the company announced, quote, Today's verdict is a win for all app developers and consumers around the world. It proves that Google's app store practices are illegal and they abuse their monopoly to extract exorbitant fees, stifle competition, and reduce innovation. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't mean Epic has fully won yet. Uh, Google's, Google's affairs and public policy VP Wilson White noted that Google does plan to appeal the verdict, so we'll see where this gets to in the appeal. Uh, and, but in, in terms of this suit itself, Epic actually did not sue for damages. Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney suggests instead that Epic stood to make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars if it doesn't have to pay Google's fee. So in my opinion, I think the most important thing about the trial is that it actually uncovered a lot of really bad faith practices from Google. And Tim Sweeney in an, in an interview with The Verge noted, quote, I'd suspected a lot of the practices that Google had, you know, since 2018 or so, when we first started this, to such an extent that some folks would occasionally call me a conspiracy theorist. It was really, really interesting to see that my understandings of what Google was doing behind the scenes were actually true. You're leaking our conversation to reporters to get negative stories written about us. You're paying other developers off to convince them not to launch their own stores. They were going around and paying carriers and OEMs secretly not to carry competing stores. Even further, Tim Sweeney went on to say, quote, it was really disconcerting to see the extent of bad faith efforts that were going on in a company of Google's size. You'd think a trillion dollar company would develop to the point where they have pretty respectable processes and leadership structures that provide a check and balance against wrongdoing, but they were rampantly destroying all their chats on these topics. You'd see long conversation threads would start to get into a spicy antitrust issue and suddenly somebody points out the history's on and the chat goes silent. They just turned it off to have the documents destroyed. It was great to see that all called out in detail. Now, this is really odd because if you remember when Google first went public, they had a founding model of don't be evil. And more recently, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but Google CEO Sundar Pichai also posted on X, Twitter. He basically mischaracterized <laughs> the capabilities of Project Gemini, which is their answer to chat GPT-4. And so sadly, I do think Google has gone from being one of the good guys and good companies to a company now with a pretty tainted reputation, clearly doing evil, clearly engaging in corrupt behavior. And I hope, I hope that these recent revelations about how they are actually operating can help their leadership team reconsider just how twisted their company culture and their values have become. But yeah, I'm really, really disappointed when it comes to Google. What do you think, Arthur? They're just like violating <laughs> antitrust, anti-competition laws, like straight up out in the open. We're, this is the same Google that tried to pay off um, mm -hmm. Epic 
Yeah. When it comes to like because they don't want them launched on Fortnite on Google Play, which is like I think they're afraid of being the platform, as we mentioned before, Fortnite's becoming a platform. Of course, it's not an app. Well, actually, technically, you could say they're apps that you download, much like games are in Roblox. You download to play them. And Google Play is probably worried of Epic Games becoming a competitor. Yeah, for sure. Um, which, are, which I feel like is a very far thing away, but it's just... They're just straight violating all the corporate laws blatantly without even like any remorse. Yeah, it's, it's just sad to see, for example, e- even beyond the monopolistic behavior, just the internal behavior in terms of hiding conversations, trying to engage in kind of dirty practices and things like that. Uh, all the dirty tricks and the all the stuff against the, the backdrop of the initial founding motto of don't be evil is just so hypocritical. I'm definitely very discouraged and disappointed in Google, but optimistically, I'm hoping they will take this as a rallying cry to like get their shit together, right? Like to get to to try and right the ship. But what we'll see. We will see. Uh, hopefully we will see. I just they they just been unfair recently. Uh it's like especially the Fortnite like I, I just have no mm-hmm. words for this. I think they're just scared. Yeah. Um but yeah for further news what what do you got Arthur? Well, um, I also got some more sad news in addition to uh, the whole trial with Google and whatnot. Is that is, and this one hits close to home. Unfortunately, the famed actor who played Max Payne and all of the Max Paynes for Remedy alongside with his recent role as an FBI agent, uh, Alex Casey in Alan Wake 2, which I've talked about mm-hmm. a lot recently. Love that game. Love Alan Wake. I love Remedy, all their games. And the actor who carried it unfortunately passed away. Um, from cancer, James McCaffrey has unfortunately passed away at the age of 65. Um, this is a very upsetting situation. Um, uh, a lot of people are lost for words because he passed away too soon. And he's just a childhood hero of many people who grew up playing Max Payne games. And of course, Alan Wake, which are all Steam and famous games, um, delivered partly in thanks to Jay McCaffrey's awesome acting. So uh, we hear a game over do bear, uh, do bid a peaceful farewell to his passing. Uh, yeah. So that's the first side of news from me. Um, in addition to that, on this day as well, uh, according to BBC, uh, the first ever video game console, uh, home console, not sure if you heard of this device, the Magic magna vox is that the first one so it's not atari uh, (laughs) apparently uh, it's a misconception but apparently this is the the first one just not marketed that well uh the magna magna vox odyssey the first ever video game console turns 50 years old today um and it's really retrospectively crazy how in the past 50 years how games have changed from this simple wooden device connected to a wooden TV to now the like, you know, OLED flat screens with like unreal graphics. Uh, it was first, you know, revealed on the British uh, broadcasting um, channel as well, who reported his news. Uh, it didn't like live that long. Of course the Atari overshadowed it, but 
that's what also happened today as well. Um, so that was a short article to read, but in other news, this one's very interesting. Sony, our favorite game studio, um, known for delivering some epic um, trilogies, franchises, and awesome uh, gaming consoles as well, has just patented the ability for games to adjust difficulties on the fly. Um, going to you, is this something you always wanted in video games? Uh, I mean, I think theoretically... A lot of people talk about the potential to adjust difficulty to, to personalize games, but also there's a concept of flow, where if you can adjust the if you can dynamically adjust game difficulty, then you can help players stay in a flow state when they're playing games. So I do think it has, in theory, the potential to provide a better game experience for players, and you know it'll be interesting to see how it gets implemented. Uh, but I do think that in free-to-play mobile, you've got aspects of adjusting games difficulty already in games, and I do think it, it does create a better experience if you can do it right. Well, the way they're going to ensure that this will be done right is by uh, collecting user data whenever you play more than one different game, uh, and determinations to the AI model will be made to calculate whether or not they should have like this difficulty ready on standby to be mm -hmm. changed into. And that's how exactly they're going to try and do it. And speaking of AI, this kind of goes in line with what Sony announced earlier this month, which was having a dual sense controller design that will help players with a predictive AI assistant feature. So this goes in line with the whole change in difficulty on the fly as well. Of course, people are concerned about like, what about their privacy? Because, you know, having the ability to change the game difficulty on the fly in one game is one thing, but requiring um, your playthrough and data from other games as a whole other uh, invasive concern, I don't really see much of a concern for this, um, especially considering it's all on the Sony device that already have your data already, probably. And then next up is from Tencent. Um, they have shut down a U.S. game studio called Team Kaju. Uh, so the Chinese tech giant, we all know Tencent, has shut down one of the U.S. game studios that they have. And the studio is pretty potent because it was a part of their global expansion for the Western market. Um, fortunately, all the staff that were a part of the studio have simply been reassigned and not laid off. Um, as we mentioned, many episodes or times of layoffs occurring. occurring. Thankfully, uh, the Team Kaju staff have been reassigned to other projects. Uh, the website itself is no longer active, and the justification for the shutdown is that Tencent is wanting to make a push to build studios overseas and develop games at for those overseas markets. So they're just trying to condense their studios into a more smaller, that's sorry, wider approach rather than have multiple studios for each market. So they want all, I guess, at their home base to help expand it at the Western market a bit confused about what this article was saying um yeah i mean i think this kind of speaks to just a larger kind of pullback in terms of new game development and you know another article that i, sh I should mention is hasbro also announced that they're cutting nearly 1100 positions the tencent studio shutting down just kind of shows like essentially when we think about the big growth that we saw during covid i think there was a kind of race to try and scale up with with all the growth in gaming that we saw during COVID. I think people then extrapolated a little bit too far 
And post-COVID, what we see is we didn't see the huge growth that we saw and all the extrapolations from the COVID growth were a little bit too much. And so now we're starting to see kind of like a wind down. Also, we're starting to see inflation. We're starting to see like credit card debt kind of go through the roof. And so people are spending less in terms of like at least mobile free-to-play spend. It's gone down a bit. And so I think what we're seeing is just like a pullback in the games industry. We're, we're seeing that all around. We also note that E3 is shutting down, which is not necessarily related to COVID, but to some degree, I, I think people really questioned if they really needed E3 based upon the experience with COVID. And a lot of people, a lot of game studios started pulling out of E3 post-COVID. And I think what they realized is that they don't really need that uh, that conference, that event to be able to promote some of the new games coming out. And so given that, uh, I think the economics of E3 then turned negative, and now that is also shutting down, which is sad. I remember going to a bunch of E3s in the past. It was one of my favorite conferences, including GDC. So it's, uh, it's, it's a time of, of change in the games industries. But uh, I'm in huge envy of that because ever since I was a kid, watching the E3 every June on my Panasonic large TV, I yeah. always wanted to go to it. And then when I finally saved up and had the parental um, consent to go out on my own to E3, COVID happened. Right. And then, of course, after COVID, they delayed E3 for like a year. They canceled that one. And then after that, they said it's going to be on hold. And now it's, it's finally gone. I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, I went on LinkedIn this morning. I just keep seeing people saying I have fond memories here, eating by this place, having meetings, enjoying all the new games. I'm like so jealous. Like, how, like was E3 that like memory filled? Like, was it like a gamer's paradise? Because I also heard it's like a journalist strict conference only for investors. Like, how was it for you as an attendee? Uh, E3 was, in, during the heyday, it was awesome because... There's a lot of new game announcements. If from the developer perspective, there were a lot of good talks. There were, I, I think that um, from the gamer side, they they kind of really kind of played to the gamer audience as well, where um, it was like a big production. You know that you had all your your you know maybe not PC in today's environment, but you all had all the booth babes and things like that. And so it was like a pretty big production that they used to have. And now it's, uh, I guess it's it's outdated at this point. But Arthur, in terms of game conferences, do you go to any? Uh, do you go to RDC or is is or anything at all at all now? Um, you know, I, I usually go to the Relux Developer Conference, but uh, I was just saving up to go to GDC itself um, in 2024, which I'm excited for. Are you going? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, so awesome. yeah, if you're going to be there. I'll, I'll get you some invitations to some parties if you want, Arthur. <laughs> well, that'll be awesome. But uh, it, nothing is probably going to beat the memories of E3, like going to a conference down in LA for games. Like yeah. you mentioned, it was the heyday. So, so I mentioned before that it became more investor oriented. I assume that's what you mean by like the end of the heyday and whatnot. Like, well, I, I think like in the in the early days, it wasn't just for investors. I think it was really meant for also like a consumer audience where they would have a pretty big production in terms of like game releases announcements and you know you'd be able to go and try out different games and things and so yeah I, I mean i miss it but at the same time you know this we're living in a new world and things are different and just got to adapt 
Right. Thankfully, up here, up here in Seattle, we still got PAX West, which is always an awesome convention to go for for games. But it will probably not beat the massive scale that E3 was when it came to games. I just wish I could have went to E3, but I don't know. Maybe in the future, come back because <laughs> before this news, there was like rumors of it being rebranded okay. or something. If if you remember that, um, but I I think it's down the barrel as well now. Mm. Uh, so so long E3. Uh, I'll miss watching the awesome announcements and hearing like the audience reacting. Like that stuff sent chills down my spine. The audience reacting yeah. to game reveals and, and demos. But um, speaking of about investors, actually, um, this is going back to the metaverse again. There was this metaverse firm called Improbable. Have you heard of them? Yeah. So they recently just sold one of their gaming subsidiaries to Keyword Studios for $96.8 million in this um, subsidiary is called MPG. It's an Irish, sorry, the Irish Game Studios Keyword Studios. Uh, MPG. Does that ring a bell? No, not at all. Yeah, apparently MPG is focused more on like um, Web three fashion um, and sport based content in the whole metaverse deal. Um, and this is more of a focus on virtual reality, whether to compare stuff like Fortnite or uh, Roblox. Uh, so there's some recent news about investors as we were talking about before. Um, but going back to like selling on that stuff, there is this controversial news that you are bringing up um, this episode and that's to deal with Twitch's new content policy. Oh, yeah, you know, I was gonna, yeah, we could cover that. I guess Twitch, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not following it too closely, but I, I'm in a private Slack group where people were talking about it and showing me like images of like these weird naked anime things. And I, I think there was, there was, I, I think what happened is that Twitch had changed their policy where you could, um, you could see kind of like, you know, like naked anime stuff, and then they—I they, think they reversed it or something like that. I—I I, I should they actually like reverse it. I should actually pull like up real, the article. <laughs> but they like real quickly put it back in place due uh -huh. to the community. Of course, there was some community feedback about that. Yeah. Um, I, I heard from friends, and they just showed me like you open up Twitch, the just chatting section, and it's filled with a bunch of um, lewd, artistic. Uh, new the Liberty videos, yeah, all over the place, like clogging the entire page. Yeah, here we go. Twitch to allow artistic nudity, twerking, and pole dancing on streams. It's an article by Forbes, and you can see that there was a lot of full toplessness. There was a bunch of stuff that people got upset about, and uh, this included some women who are adult film stars. Uh, but yeah, looks like <laughs> looks like there, there there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of um people uh, freaking out uh about being able to see you know topless women and things like that uh on the platform. It's not a website for kids anymore. <laughs> Watch your favorite streamers. Uh, I think that's where YouTube Live is coming in. Uh, I I we mentioned last week um. A friend Thor, yeah. my friend mm -hmm. Thor up here in Seattle, and you know he's had some many, uh, uh, 
their partner, um, best friends with just like laugh at the whole like situation, like the fact that they had a, a policy of like a second and immediately revert it. And now everyone wants it back as like, it's now going to like plague Twitch with this whole category of streamers, which is um, crazy. Like Twitch definitely evolved from becoming this, like you remember Justin TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the, like, the predecessor TV to Twitch. To, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, to this yeah. now. So I don't know if this is going to help Twitch or is going to like force people to go on YouTube uh, live to do streams, which has already been the migration case. Um, but I'm not sure if this is going to push it further. But everyone's concern is like, you know, you give your child an iPad to watch their favorite YouTubers and streamers. And of course, streamers, you go on Twitch and now everyone's pissed off. Like, I don't want my kid to accidentally encounter this because already in the past, streamers have done this type of content have tried to subvert, uh, subvert the laws, the policies on the website. Mm-hmm. So there might be a chance. Yeah, well, look, audience looks like the new set of guidelines is now disallowing nudity or partial nudity. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, it w- would be a little odd to have kids be able to see that stuff, but we'll see. Yeah, that's the current concern about it. Uh, not sure. Uh, do, uh, do you even think this is going to help Twitch? Like, I don't even think it's a gaming platform after this. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I do think that there's like a... I I believe that there is a big group of Americans, at least here, here in the West, who are going against a lot of explicit content, whether it's language, whether it's, you know, nudity or other kinds of content. And like, for example, one of the one of the theories I've heard, or one of the hypotheses I've heard, is that, for example, like K-pop has become pretty popular in the U.S. And one of the reasons right. that I've heard why it has become popular is because a lot of the K-pop stars don't have cursing, and so a lot of the parents would allow K-pop, but then block, you know, act, block their kids' access to other kinds of songs with explicit content. So maybe in a similar way, if, if Twitch does allow nudity and things like that, there, there may be a group of fairly conservative Americans that just don't allow their kids to access Twitch and things like that. But we'll see. And that's going to be a large portion of their audience because kids make up everything. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, Lethal Company grew because every kid's playing that. Roblox grew because it's meant for kids. Fortnite grew because it was filled with a lot of teenagers and kids. So uh, I'm not sure this would be a negative for Twitch in the long run, but this would definitely probably shift some viewers to YouTube Live. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the news. Let's take it to games that we're playing. And I can start. So I don't play a lot of games, but now that I'm back in the U.S., I will start playing Wild Rift again, my favorite game of all time. And besides that, though, when I was uh, when I was getting on, basically in the last few days, and especially for... My flight, I downloaded this game called Block Jam 3D, which is like a casual game by Voodoo. And for anyone who hasn't tried it, I definitely recommend you give, give it a shot. It's a very casual game where you're like trying to match. It's kind of like a like a alternative take on match three, but very clever. They've also put in like a race mechanic that really motivates people to try and get as far as possible and puts in a competitive aspect to the game. But if you haven't tried it, if you're into mobile, Block Jam 3D, highly recommend you give it a shot. Uh, definitely check out next time I miss a connected <laughs> flight. As for my, as for my yeah. side, there's this new Oculus title called Asgard's Wrath okay. 2. 
Now imagine like Legend of Zelda, but wholly in virtual reality is a fantastic like long-term game if you want to relax yourself in an immersive fantasy world. If you like Legend of Zelda, some great content in there. And the next up, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, is I've been playing Grand Theft Auto Online a bit more because, you know, the latest automotive-based update. But also, partly some news about is that Rockstar finally added wildlife to the online mode after 10 Mm -hmm. years. Um, So it was very interesting to check that out. Of course, the reception has been a bit mixed, saying, well, that's cool you added it, but, like, why did it take 10 years when the base game single-player version already had it? People a bit up in arms about it maybe calling Rockstar a bit lazy, but I'm just glad they finally added the latest DLC for it. Sorry, update technically for it. It's fantastic. And the wildlife expansion into it is also great and makes the world way more immersive. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, That's what I've been playing this past week. So in terms of the Oculus game, how good is that? Like one thing I've noticed is that for me, there there's almost no game that I really like to play on in VR. I don't know if you've, you've come across a game, you know, like everyone plays a little bit of Beat Saber, but then that gets kind of old. But so this game that you mentioned, is it really that good? Or do, do you think it's got a shot of really like engaging people like a League of Legends or another game that you play for hours a day? Um, Like if we, the closest com- comparison I have for it, it would be Skyrim Virtual mm-hmm. Reality. I think it's far better than Skyrim Virtual Reality because okay. it's like a full RPG yeah made for vr the controls are great the graphics are decent beautiful the story is fun the gameplay is, is fun too i actually highly recommend it. it feels like a a major game on the virtual reality systems which we rarely mm-hmm. get you know we had half-life alex three years ago and that's been the talk of town but now i feel like this game is a sleeper hit and i'm highly promoting it because it's a wonderful yeah. hit and if, you know i mentioned skyrim before people are waiting for the next fallout elder scrolls at maybe even Baldur's Gate 4 at this point. If you want something to fill in like that whole like patient waiting period for the next big RPG, I do recommend Asgard's Raft too. It feels like a solid game. Of course, it's not everyone's cup of tea. VR, you know, it's not the most accessible platform, but I think it's really okay. worth it. It's really fun. It feels like a real game. Yeah, I think the only other game that I've played on VR that I thought was decent was kind of a Beat Saber-like exercise game. I forgot what it's called, but that... That one was all right. But the game I think if they made it that would do really well on VR is if somebody did like a Yu-Gi-Oh game, right? Like imagine being able to play Yu-Gi-Oh right. like in, in the anime where you have your cards and you know you summon your big you know blue-eyed steel dragon or whatever. I think that would be cool. I don't know why no one's done that yet, but hopefully somebody tries to do that in the future. Has, has Pokemon even done something like yeah, that? Yeah, they could do I it too. Like that's actually a yeah, great yeah. idea. Like Massive market, like <laughs> fighting your uh, trainers right exactly. there personally. That's, that actually seems really cool. Asgard's the game makes you feel really cool because you can be like a sorcerer and you'd be doing this, you know, fantastical RPG yeah. shit. So like it's it's immersive that way. So I don't see why card games like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, or even Bakugan have even made such forefronts. Right. So well, ho- hopefully we'll see something like that in the near term future. <laughs> But <laughs> maybe maybe from Netflix games. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, I think that's it for me. Anything else, Arthur? Or otherwise, should we call it call it a day until next week? We'll definitely call it a day until next week. Uh, I think we had a good fill of news this All right, time around. Cool. All right, guys. I think that's it. So we will catch you next time. 
and with more news. Catch y'all later. Bye.